0: Hey, good morning. My name is Joel. I am one of the teaching pastors here at One Church, and uh, we are starting a series called Silent Night. That's why we have that elaborate video. And it's this idea of entering the Christmas season, but knowing that many of us are walking into this season in a time perhaps of hurts, or pain, or loss. And what do we do with that? How do we walk through that? It's hard to believe that the Christmas season is even here, that that here we are sitting in the beginning of December and we're looking down the line towards the Christmas holiday and just knowing right beyond that lays 2014. It's time almost for a whole new year. And it got me thinking this week as I prepared to come and be with you about what has happened, what's transpired this year. Kind of thinking back through what 2013 was as we stand with just a few more weeks of this year. It was actually 51 weeks ago, 51 weeks ago on December 14th where 28 people were killed in the Newton Massacre. There were 507,769 people in January who were affected by floods in the Philippines. In February, 4,309 people were killed, and 1.6 million were affected by a drought that lasted over six months in the African country of Chad. In March, 24 people were killed, and 1.3 million were affected by the Guanyang storm in China. In April, 200 people were killed, and 2 million were affected by an earthquake in China, In May, 14 people were killed and 1.2 million were affected by a cyclone in Bangladesh. In June, 113 people were killed and 280,000 were affected by floods in in the Sichuan province of China. 14 people and 11,750 in September, 14 people were killed and 11,750 were evacuated during the floods in Colorado. In October... For 16 days our government shut down and it cost the US over 24 billion dollars. In November, 5,719 people were killed and 11 million people were affected by Typhoon Yolanda in the Philippines. This year in Afghanistan, 110 American servicemen and women were killed, bringing the current total to 2,153. It has been a hard year. It's been a difficult year And I know statistics, especially depressing ones, are not the way to start a Christmas series, but it's called Silent Night, and this is what Chris assigned me to do. So here I am. And many of us are thinking and hearing these things. Millions of people affected, thousands of people killed. Why is God quiet? Where is God in all of this? For many of us, the number may be a little bit smaller, but we think into our own lives and we think of the number 365. For us it's been 365 days that maybe your child has been in rebellion. Maybe it's been 365 days, that's your number, for you in your life, where a substance or an addiction has controlled your mind and your heart and your life. Maybe it's just 365 more days that you have been childless in your marriage. Or maybe the the number for you this year is the number one. There's been one job lost. One loved one who's passed away. One marriage that's ended. No matter what the number is, if it's 11 million or 365 or just one, it's been a painful year for some of us. Maybe it's been a painful year for a lot of us here. And the questions rain down, why is God silent? Where are you, God, in all of this? Let me say this up front. You're not alone in asking those questions. You're you're not alone. I've asked these myself. I have shouted to the heavens. I have yelled at the stars. God, why are you quiet right now? God, I need my answer. Why won't you speak to me? And through all of that pain and through all of my reading of the scriptures and working through doctrines and theology, I finally come up with a theological answer. And so I want to give it to you this morning. So get your pens or your your your, your iPhones or iPads ready to kind of take this down. Here is your theological answer for where is God? Why 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 does he seem silent? What does he seem so far, especially with pain? The theological answer is this. I don't know. I have no idea. When they come back, ask Chris and Patrick. They're far more biblically astute than I am, okay? So you can talk to them about it. I don't know. I just know I've been there too. I don't know why he's silent in some situations and not in others. I don't know why it seems so clear at some times and so obtuse at others, but I don't know. To know I've been there. I know that many of you are there. You are not Alone in your pain. There are people near you this morning, sitting near you, <coughs> this very morning, who have experienced pain, doubt, questioning, this very year, this very month, the very week. There are many of them who are living in it this morning, this day, and they're asking that question, God, why do you seem so silent and so far and so distant right now? Where are you, God. I am here, I get paid to talk about the Bible. It's a pretty awesome job. And so here I am to let you know that you're not alone because there's people around you that feel that way and you're not alone because God's word does speak to it. It may not give us all the answers. It may not give us all the total clarity we want for but there is hope and encouragement in the pages of scripture. Many of the authors of the Bible have experienced similar pain and doubts and many of the authors of the Bible have asked those same questions. God, where are you at right now? Why are you silent? Allow me this morning to introduce one of them to you. The author of the book of Lamentations. So if you have a Bible or smartphone or whatever you guys use, maybe you actually literally have a a, a sheepskin scroll. Whatever you work this morning, let's go to the book of Lamentations, all right? (coughs) Excuse me. We're going to Lamentations. It's found in the Old Testament. It's actually right after the book of Jeremiah. The book of Lamentations... It's found in the middle of the Old Testament, in the part of it that is actually put aside for the prophets. It, it flows after the book of Jeremiah, not because it's a prophetic book. Lamentations is actually a book of poetry. It's a book of poems. So it's kind of out of place, but it's put here because it's thought that the author of Lamentations is Jeremiah. So they put it after the prophecy of Jeremiah. I uh, ascribe to that, that, that belief that this was Jeremiah writing this. It was similar to his style. He was known as the weeping prophet because he had to declare so many things from God that were painful, that were hard, and he spent a lot of his career as a prophet crying and weeping, and Lamentations fits right in with that. And he's writing these Lamentations, these laments. He writes this book in response to the siege on Jerusalem, Babylonians had come down from the north. They had besieged the city. And they destroyed it. They destroyed the capital. They destroyed the temple. And then they took many of the nation of Israel away with them. They they, they take thousands into captivity. They become their slaves. And the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, it seems like it is no more. It's a very dark and painful time. And at the center of the book of Lamentations is this kind of gravitational force. If we want to understand what the book is, this gravitational force pulls us towards God's judgment. It's God's judgment against his people. And he is bringing forth judgment that was said by Jeremiah, said by Isaiah, said by all of these prophets speaking out on behalf of God going, hold on, better watch what you're doing here, people. Judgment's going to come. And so Lamentations talks about this judgment has come and it's actually accepted. They get it. We know we messed up. We know we sinned. We know we blew it, God. And your judgment is right. It's true and it's just. But it hurts. We're hurting. Jeremiah saying, "I'm hurting." We're going to go to chapter three, uh, but in chapter two he says, "My eyes are spent with weeping." Later in that same chapter, he says that he is faint. In chapter 2, verse 20, he says that the people are starving. Chapter 5, he says, I feel alone. I feel rejected. Though they get that God has to do something, it's still hard for them to take. And they are hurting. And it's written in this perspective of the fall of the city of Jerusalem the destruction of the temple, the deportment of the nation of Israel to another land that doesn't know God. To this day, the Jews actually write on pieces of paper the book of Lamentations to express their sadness over what happened to their people. We have a picture in, 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 uh, in Jerusalem. I think we have the picture. In Jerusalem, they'll actually take These writings, they'll take them and that that wall there on the right is called the Wailing Wall and there's a line of Jewish people wanting to get to that wall and they're taking these little pieces of paper where they've written the Book of Lamentations, written verses and they're sticking it into the wall because right on the other side of the wall is that dome. It's called the Temple of the Dome. It is a Muslim mosque but that's where the Jewish temple used to be. And so they're wailing at that wall, they're lamenting at that wall that they don't get to go to the temple anymore. It should be there, but it's not because God judged us, because of our sin. And we get that, but it hurts. And to this day, they're still lamenting. They're still weeping. They're still hurting because the Jewish nation is dissolved. The capital is destroyed. Many are dead and they're saying, why is God silent? Where are you, God? that sets the context a little bit for us. It sets the tone somewhat of the pain and the doubt that led to these laments. So with that in mind, we're gonna pick up in in Lamentations chapter three, look down at verse 10. We're gonna spend some time here this morning uh, in these verses kind of working through these laments. And it's my hope that it gives us some answer for what we can do in the midst of our pain and our hurt. How we can connect again, perhaps, with God. We'll start reading in, in, in chapter 3, verse 10. It says this He, and that He there is God. So he's talking about God and what God has done and what He's up to. He, God, is a bear. Lying in wait for me, a line in hiding. Remember, it's poetry, so they're, 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 they're using words and illustrations and ideas here that maybe wouldn't normally be there, but here in this poem, in these laments, he's putting out these ideas. So here's God laying in wait for him. It says, He has turned aside my steps, He has brought judgment upon Jeremiah, upon these, these people. He has torn me to pieces, verse 11 says. He has made me desolate. He says he has torn me to pieces. He has dissolved our people. Our country is no more. We are desolate. There's destruction. Jeremiah is probably writing this, looking out on what used to be Jerusalem. What were their walls? What were their temples? What were their homes? And he's seeing nothing but rubble. Verse 12, it says, he bent his bow and he set me as a target. Again, talking about this judgment that's come. He drove it into my kidneys, the arrows of his quiver. I become a laughing stock of all the people, the object of their taunts all day long. There's a humiliation as well. It's not just destruction. It's not just deportment, but here's a humiliation. Verse 15 says, he's filled me with bitterness. He sated me with wormwood. There's a idea here, a questioning a wonder, a doubt, a pain in these laments. Verse 18, he kind of starts to pull it together. We'll look at, I guess, 16 through 18. He says, he has made my teeth grind on gravel. He's made me cower in ashes. So he's sad, he's hurting, he's broken over this. My soul is breath of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. And so I say, my endurance has perished. And so has my hope. From the Lord, his endurance has perished; his hope has too. What he's saying here is, why is it silence? Why is God silent? When you catch his pain, his hurt, his wonder here, his doubts. He is hurting. Some of you this morning get it way better than others because you're in the midst of hurting. It's been a hard day. Hard week, a hard season, a hard year, a hard couple of years, I don't know. I'm not in your mind and heart, but you get it. You're like, man, I need this guy to come write my laments. That's exactly how I feel. I'm hurting, I'm humiliated, I'm broken. When that happens, the response of, of, of the human race, each one of us is to say, where is God? Or I'm gonna turn to God. We have two answers when we're in the midst of that. Where is God, or do I turn to God? That's why anytime uh, any type of, of tragedy or crisis happens, it doesn't matter if it's a school shooting or tornado landing upon a certain housing development, and not others, or a flood or a tornado or a hurricane comes, whatever it is, you're always going to find somebody on Facebook or on Twitter or on television and go, Where's God? If He's so good, why are these people dying? Why are they hurting? Where's God and all this? It it always happens. Maybe it's even been some of you. We either say, where is God? Or I'm going to turn to God. That's, That's it. And with many of you wondering today, do I question him or turn to him? Let me give you two simple reminders this morning that draw from this text. Grab onto these to maybe help you make that decision. The first one is this. Don't confuse silence with inactivity. Don't confuse silence with inactivity. Our response is often to blame God. How dare you, God? Why aren't you talking to me, God? Why haven't you answered me, God? Why have these people died and not these people? Why why does it seem that that all of these things have happened in this country, not that country? Why, Why are they being judged? Why am I being judged? God, why are you doing this? Why are you silent? Where are you? Don't confuse as you're making that decision. Do I go to him or do I blame him? Don't confuse silence with inactivity. Just because he's silent doesn't mean that he's not up to something. Remember, remember that in the midst of this pain, it's a season, it's a season. Many of us have been around long enough to know that there's good days and bad days, good weeks and bad weeks, good months and bad months, good years and bad years. I wish it wasn't so, but it is. It's just part of the human condition, it's just part of our journey. And when Jeremiah is writing these laments, he's actually writing them from the perspective of about 71 years. It's the end of a season of 71 years, and he's seeing this destruction, seeing his friends dead, he's seeing many of them taken away as captives to another land. He's writing in the context of a season. Second thing I want you to remember is this. It is okay to mourn and to grieve and to wonder. Hear this this morning. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your hurt, maybe even destruction in your own life, God is big enough for you to question. God is big enough for your doubts. God is big enough for your pain. And it's okay in the midst of that to go, I don't know about you right now, God. It's okay to do that. He made you an emotional person. He gets you. Do you know why I know he gets you and me when we're doing these things? He wrote a book called Lamentations within the name. He wrote a whole book. There are 66 spirit-inspired books in the text, and one of them is called Lamentations. There's not one called exuberance or excitement. There's not even a first hyperactivity. There's just lamentations. He gets us. He knows we're gonna hurt. He knows we're gonna doubt. He knows we're gonna question. I don't think it's too far beyond our doubts here to think. That is, Jeremiah is... Being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the book of Lamentations, that at any point the Holy Spirit could have spoken up to him and said, Hey Jeremiah, stop the laments for a second. Let's just put a picture in. Draw a kitten. Draw a kitten, and it's hanging on to a tree branch. Just with two claws up there into the branch, his little feet are hanging off. It looks like he's gonna fall like 20 feet. Just draw a little kitten there, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah's like, This is weird, Holy Spirit, but you're the boss. And he's like, now underneath it, right. Hang in there, and, and the Holy Spirit's like, I know you don't think this is weird, you know, you know, but it's going to be great for these people, and it's going to look awesome hanging over dentist chairs, you know. You just go get a dentist chair, and you lay there. There's always a kitten hanging on a tree branch. Said, "Hang in there," as they drill my teeth. The Holy Spirit could have done that, but He didn't. The Holy Spirit said, Jeremiah, let your pain roll. Let your emotions roll. Let your questioning roll. Let your doubts roll. Put them out there. And not only are they gonna be so good that they're gonna help you and some people, we're gonna stick them in scripture. They're gonna be around for thousands of years. God gets that you hurt. He gets that you have pain. He gets that you even wanna question him. Because the way I read it, Jeremiah is. God's a bear waiting to destroy me. He's drove me down. He's pierced my kidney with arrows. I'm sitting in ashes because of him. I don't know why, but because of him. God gets that. You can have pain. and You can have emotions. And you can ask questions. God's big enough for that. He's big enough for that. However, catch this. However, in this time of doubt and questioning and pain, don't lose sight on that reality. That silence doesn't mean inactivity. In fact, it can mean The exact opposite. There's the most activity going on. For those of you that are parents of young children, specifically boys between the ages of five and eight, you understand that silence is the worst sound possible. They're like, you know, all these poor new parents. They got their one their one baby, it's like eleven or twelve months old, it's like wobbling around and it falls and the head smacks and they go, that's the worst sound ever. No, it's not. It heads like a basketball. It's gonna pump back up, don't worry. The worst sound of appearance is nothing. And it's hard because when they're not around you talking, you're like, this is the best. But when they disappear for like 45 or 50 minutes, they're conspiring against you. They're conspiring to destroy you. They're gathering arms, they're raising up volunteers. They are, they're getting ammunition. A couple of weeks ago, I hadn't seen my boys for a while. I was like, "What is going on?" I went outside, they had captured another nation. They, my sons are emperors of another country now. <laughs> for those of you that are parents, when that silence comes, that's the worst sound of being a parent, because you're going to go upstairs and you're going to find a masterpiece painted on your wall. <laughs> you didn't expect to be there. For my boys, it's usually like like a butt, you know? like, "Yeah, we do that for you. That's awesome. man It's totally right over the mantle, though. I just I don't know that silence, they're most active. When it seems that God is gone, when it seems that God is the most quiet, a lot of times he's his most active. Sometimes in the silence, God is most active. We have to grab onto this. So, so hang in there, my little kittens. All right. Hang on to that tree branch today. Hang in there. Because one of the hardest things that happens in our pain is, is this season that we often have to enter into, where we have to remember, we have to remember that, that God has done things in the past, that God has moved on our behalf in the past, and it's hard because we're hurting, and we're living in this kind of weird time. But the reality is that, is that pain is going to lead us somewhere. Hurt is going to lead us somewhere. It always does, without question. And most of the times, we're stronger for it. But it's that point between the pain and where we're getting to that many of us are today. I call it the the space between. We're kind of in this this space between. In between what's happening, in between where we're going. And it doesn't hurt so much, but we're not all the way there yet and we just are kind of stuck in the middle. Dr. Seuss, the, the great theologian, he calls this the waiting place where people are just waiting. They're waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go or the mail to come, or the rain to go, or the phone to ring, or the snow to snow, or waiting around for a yes or no, or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting, he says. Waiting for the fish to bite, or waiting for the wind to fly a kite. Waiting around for a Friday night. Or waiting, perhaps, for their Uncle Jake, a pot to boil, a better break, a string of pearls, pair of pants, a wig with curls, another chance. Everyone is just waiting. And When we're in the waiting, it's tough. It's hard. It's a painful place. But the truth that we have to grasp today is that sometimes when we're in this space between when we're in this waiting place, we have to remember, you must remember. Jeremiah is here for verses 10 through 18. He is hurting, lamenting. He's putting that out there, and that's okay. But he has to come to a point where there's a space between that lament, that hurt, that pain, and remembering. He's in that space, and Jeremiah Is grieving all of that pain. But I think he's starting to grasp that there's something more. And if you actually have a a physical Bible in front of you, between verses 18 and 19, there's actually a literal space. There is a space between verse 18 and verse 19 because there's a shift in Jeremiah's tone, in his heart, in his writing. There's a break. It's it's like he took a breath. He paused. He had a moment. He had a reflection. He remembered. We must remember when we're in our pain. We must remember when we're in that space in between the pain and where it's taking us to. We must remember that God has done things before. He has worked before. And it may be hard to see, but remembering starts to draw that back. Let's pick up in, in verse 19. It says, remember... My afflictions. He starts to remember. Things start to shift. He starts to remember that that it's not it's not so bad. It hurts, but but maybe there's something going on here. And we see right now that it's not a lament anymore. His tone has changed. He's not saying, "Remember my afflictions, God. Remember my wanderings." He's not pointing at the sky here. It's a different tone. He's not pointing to the sky. He's praying. Jeremiah switches from a lament to a prayer. Remember God. That's all I can do right now. Just help me remember my affliction. Help me remember my wanderings, the wormwood, the gall. He's remembering in his prayer that maybe, just maybe God is up to something and he's not as inactive as he thought because the space between is a space of faith. It's a place of faith where our faith can grow. And honestly, sometimes faith can't be measured. It can't be sifted down into five steps to do this or seven attitudes to handle that. I wish it was. But oftentimes our faith is painfully experienced, one agonizing step at a time. But we do it realizing that others have gone this way before. We do it realizing that others have sensed that God wasn't so inactive we put our foot in front of the other and we start to walk through the pain as much as it hurts, as deep as the darkness is, as silent as God seems. <coughs> we just start moving forward. Brings us to the second thing we got to remember today in choosing between am I going to blame God or am I going to just follow God? Which of these, first one was this don't confuse silence with inactivity. Second thing I want you to do this morning is this don't cause silence to keep you inactive. Don't cause silence to keep you inactive. In verse 19, Jeremiah prays. Look what he does in verse 20. My soul continually remembers and it's bowed down within me. Look what his remembering does. He starts to ignite his soul. It remembers and my soul bows down. This is a pretty big shift from two verses before. Two verses before, my endurance has perished and so is my hope. Two verses later, my soul bows down. That's all I got today, I'm just gonna bow down. When we start to see something here. We start to see this, remembering changes everything. When we remember back to our pain and we remember back to the fact that God has been there in times past, it changes Everything. In verse 21, he says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Remembering causes hope. I have hope, Jeremiah says. And some of you today are in the midst of hurt and pain, unlike nothing you've ever experienced, and maybe any of us can even grasp. So all I say to you today is, Have hope. Say it, I have hope in your mind, in your heart, in your prayers, I have hope, say it again and again and again until it becomes real and true. Because I guarantee when he wrote that the first time, he's like, I have hope, that sounds good, but I don't think I do, but I have hope. I have hope, I have hope. Wait, I have hope. Sometimes we have to do that. Remembering causes hope. Verses 22, it picks up and he says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Remembering, it connects us with love. He uses the word steadfast. This is one of the biggest words in the Old Testament because the Hebrew word, which is the language of the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for steadfast is hesed. It means covenantal love. It means covenantal relationship. It means covenantal favor. It means that God has not, will not, cannot, because it's a covenant, cannot forget his people. So when he drops this, this man who just a few verses before saying, I have no hope, now he's saying, not only do I have hope, I am connected steadfastly to the love of God. He loves me that much. He starts to remember that not only does he have hope, he has this love. And he's like, this is in my soul. It is, it, it, it is here. Great is your faithfulness. There's a businessman from Chicago in the 1800s. His name was Horatio Spafford. In 1871, the great Chicago fire destroyed much of his business. He was a lawyer, destroyed homes, destroyed friends' homes. Two years later, in 1873, there was an economic downturn, and he lost much of his business that he had barely built up since the great fire. He decided to take a break for a little while, and he decided to pack up his family and go on a vacation to Europe. He got held up shortly before it was time to go, and he said to his wife, take our daughters, he had four daughters, and go on ahead, go on ahead of me. And this was before planes, so it was taking a boat. So his wife and his four daughters boarded in America, set off for England. A few days later, Horatio Spafford received a telegram from his wife. It said, survived alone. Their boat collided with another boat and it sunk. His wife survived, his four daughters perished. Gracious Spafford then gathers what he can and he rushes to get on the very next boat that he can to go connect with his grieving wife. And as he was crossing the Atlantic, he is at the spot where that boat had sunk, where his four daughters had died. And here he is in the midst of this pain as a father, losing not just one child, but all of his children. Having to go be with his wife who was hurting and grieving. He's lost business, he's lost his home. And it's there on those waves that he wrote this song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Even in the midst of our pain, we have to remember, we have to remember that God has been there before. And because of his steadfast love, he's going to be there again. But it is well with my my soul, is what Jeremiah is saying. He say not only is it that, but every day, every day there's new mercies. Every day that faithfulness comes out again. Every day I have this chance to experience God in a new way. What a change in Him! Where did that change come from? It came from Him being active in His remembering. He remembers hope. He remembers steadfast love. In verse 24, he says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. He says, the Lord is my portion. A minute ago, he had no hope from the Lord. Now, the Lord is his portion. He's starting to remember and realize that all he ever really has is God anyway. Jeremiah's saying, my inheritance is God. My only inheritance is God. Your only inheritance is God. My only inheritance is God. This is all we got. He says, This so powerfully and so deeply that he says, so says my soul. He says soul a lot. Have you noticed that? It's because the soul is all we can really hang on to. We are spiritual beings. And one day this, praise the Lord, is gonna be gone. All of my back hair, my love handles, gone. And all I got is my soul. Scripture says that the heart can be deceitful. The mind, we all know, is constantly calculating. Our flesh, it's weak. So our soul, we have to remind our soul. that's why remembering is so important, because it is food for our soul. I remember that God is my portion. I remember that He has done things before, and I will hope in him. Will hope in him. Jeremiah does a, a couple of things. Because I'm totally a Southern Baptist, I put them all into our words, okay? Since he's remembering, he does a couple of things. The first thing he does, he's, he reviews what's going on. Then he repents. Then he removes. Then he reacted. He gets very active right now in all of this. He's reviewing his life. He's repenting. He's removing things. He's reacting. Don't let silence cause you to be inactive. And all of these things, this reviewing, this repenting, this removing, this reacting, it draws us towards redemption. It draws us to redemption. And how is this redemption felt? Well, we find that in Lamentations 3.25, it says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. There's a lot going on here for him, isn't there? He's waiting, but he's seeking. It says, it says This is good for those who wait on him. He's gone from lamenting to remembering to patience. Look how far he's come in just a few verses. It's possible for you and I to do that in our pain. That we can go from laments to remembering to patience. But then it says, it's good for those who seek him. So it's active, it's not just waiting, it's active. Which one? no, it's both is what he's saying here. We wait sometimes, we seek sometimes. It's just part of where we are in our connecting with God. Silence should not keep us inactive. And our faith, it's, it's built on patience and on seeking and waiting and acting. And he says the result of this is that it's good for, for us to wait. It's good for us to seek because salvation comes from the Lord. Through all the painful years, through all, all the painful things he's written, for the, many of us, he, he, he is saying, salvation's gonna come. It comes. He starts to realize that in the silence, God has been active. And in the silence, he needs to be active. And he starts to see that maybe, just maybe, God is up to something more. It's right in the midst of all of these prophecies that spoke to what God was going to do, not just over the nation of Israel, but in the future, that something else was gonna come, that there's gonna be a breaking of the silence, that something was gonna happen. And he starts to realize that maybe right here, salvation is coming from the Lord. There is something moving active well beyond us. Not far from this book is the book of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament. And when Malachi shuts up his scroll, God's speakers, books, writers, they go silent for 400 years. 400 years between Old Testament and New Testament. Maybe a page in your Bible, but it's 400 years and he's silent. 71 years in Lamentations, silent, hurting. But perhaps there's more going on here. And it takes us remembering what God has done in the past. It takes us having some faith that perhaps he's moving. And it takes us having the faith that we need to move ourselves. And God shows up in this incredible way through the cry of a baby. For any father or mother in here, you know your life was completely different when you heard the cry of your first child. And then you knew it was radically different when you heard the cry of your second child. And then you knew you were totally insane when you heard the cry of your third or fourth Some of you have like 18 kids now, been gone for four months, you have like 12 kids when I come back, what's going on here? Everything changes through the cry of a baby, that's what we see here. Silence here shows the greatest of activity. God is restoring what Jeremiah is lamenting for, not in the way that Jeremiah thought, not in the way that the people thought, but in exactly the way that God needed it to be. That the kingdom would be restored by a king. Not just an earthly king, the king of kings. And he is going to come and he's going to change everything. And through the cry of this baby, Jesus is born. And he's born so he can die. And he dies so he can be resurrected. And he's been resurrected so he can give us true hope. Not hope in a wall or a temple or a kingdom. Hope eternal that forever our faithfulness can say, God is my portion, he is my inheritance. I have this. The same Jesus who felt pain, physical and emotional. The same Jesus who was born in a barn, who was tempted by Satan, who was challenged by the establishment, who was arrested, who was den- denied by his friends, who was hung on a cross, who felt alone at times, who felt that silence sometimes, yet he knew that God was up to something because he remembered that God had worked in his past. And we must too. It doesn't mean he's inactive, and it doesn't mean that we should be inactive either. What we see here in these verses and have to be reminded in ourselves is that God was most active. Most active. God has been waiting to say, I'm bringing something far greater and it is going to change everything today. Maybe today we need to know that. Maybe today we just need to remember. We just need to remember that God has worked on our behalf before. He worked on our behalf through Jesus and perhaps There's something more here. Our big idea is this, this morning. Your pain is only part of the story. My pain is only part of the story. Sometimes we think it's the biggest part of the story, the most important part of the story, but it's only part of the story. In the end, my hope for my life and the pain that I've endured, my prayer for many of you today who are hurting is that the pain you're experiencing today is just not just a part of it, it's a a footnote in the story. It's an end note. It's in the bibliography that nobody ever uses. But until we're there, we have to remember that God is active in the silence and we need to join him in that activity. He shows it here. Even hurt and pain, he was moving towards something far greater. Jesus, the hope of hope, peace of peace the love of love, the grace of grace, the giving of the gospel that can change our lives. That is where we rest this season. I look forward to the next couple weeks. Dave and then Chris are gonna continue to unwrap this idea of how we find God in that silence. My contribution to it, which is gonna be the weak link, is we gotta remember, have to remember. encourage you, I pray for you, I challenge you this season to remember what God has done on your behalf in the past. And in that, find the hope that perhaps he's up to something even greater in the midst of your pain. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, I pray over this group this morning, over these people, especially those who are hurting, suffering today, questioning, doubting. Pray, God, peace over them. Pray, God, hope over them. Above all, God, I pray that you will broaden their minds and their hearts to remember you are up to something. Help all of us see that silence doesn't mean you're inactive and it doesn't mean that we should be inactive. That the pain we're feeling, though it's deep and raw and real right now, it's just part of the story. I pray, God, that you reveal it quickly. But if not, Father, in your time, reveal to each of us you have been moving on our behalf because you love us. Steadfastly, you love us. Remind us of that this day, God. Pray this over these people in Jesus' name, amen.